the major lift episode 12 new theme song no there's not okay there's not it's just the same one going in the background uh welcome number 12 with jim gray from caligula's horse i know jim because i am in a band with jim and i've been wanting to talk to jim for a while about fitness about health and in this one we talk a little bit more about mental health so just a, just a little side note that Jim encouraged me to mention was we do talk about some kind of heavy stuff later on and as he put it to me that talk about suicide can sort of bring on those thoughts and yeah, we'll be talking about that a little bit. So just if you are a little bit prone to having that capture you and move you out of the positive mindset that you have, then probably just don't listen to this. And anything from here on in, it you know, just 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 don't or just yell quite loudly uh, when when you start to hear it, which is a, a defense mechanism for for humans. Just make louder sounds and the sounds you don't want to hear. Pro tip: I didn't realize that this podcast was branching out into life tips. So just a few things before we get started. The Instagram is at the major lift podcast and the only reason why i mention that is because i do want to do quite a lot more on there and i would love to talk to people more on there and as the youtube will be picking up some steam this year it'd be great to just have some community to talk to uh, a few more things before we get started i am completing my certification in personal training so if you want me to stand near you and tell you you're doing well just hit me up Feel free to message me on the Major Lift Podcast Instagram. See what I did there? I put it in there twice. Or hit me up on my personal Instagram, which is Adrian Golby, the Major Lift, on Instagram as well. And just let me know if that's something you might be into. A quick fact about Jim is that Jim was a personal trainer. I think he was just finishing up when I first started getting to know him. And Jim had quite an important part in my own fitness do I have to use journey? It's so used, isn't it? Hashtag journey. In my hashtag journey, is it is it a compound word? It is. A couple of years ago, oh, a little bit longer than that. See, I'm changing my mind on air. I'm not even going to cut. Third podcast in a row, except for this is the third take. So Jim and I would go down to the park and he would show me some of the things that he learned through his TRX skills and we do them on gymnastic rings and... More than anything, it was just extremely lovely to have someone around that could suggest different ideas and could encourage you and correct you. So even though he wasn't my registered personal trainer at the time, there's still a lot of valuable information that I still consider when I'm doing things. Now, whether or not he was wrong, Jim, talking to just you now and everyone else just yell loudly like the uh the shouting we discussed all right enjoy this one you'll be probably seeing a lot more of jim while i'm away on tour uh more on that at the end of the podcast and until then enjoy listening to my friend jim gray of caligula's Horse. hello this is this is um let me start again hello this is jim gray uh from Caligula's Horse. Um, it's a progressive metal band. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, look it up if you want. If It's fine. 
links in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing this in your house because it would be kind of weird if I did this over Skype. Yeah, plus the air conditioning. Uh, I have air conditioning in my house. Mine's better. Yep. Yeah. And it's interfering with the recording process. Nah, that's all right. So we had our air conditioning cleaned, by the way. There was mold in it and it made us all quite sick. That's, I mean, that's not something you should be saying on the mic, is yeah, it? Yeah, pr- um, pretty low standards for this show. Have you this had is, your this mold like checked? A fitness, um, fitness. I mean, not the mold in my air conditioning. Yeah. Just in my undercarriage. Yeah. And. And it's there to stay. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Well, I guess, I guess what we should start off with to make this cohesive mm-hmm. is why you are Jim Gray from Caligula's Horse. Let's let's hear a little about it, uh, a little bit about your unconventional sporting background. Uh, you mean the ballet I did when I was a kid? Yeah, let's, exactly that. That's exactly what I mean. Um, probably a bad time to to be talking about this, but I wanted to be Michael Jackson like real bad. Oh yeah, this uh, is a really bad time. As a, as a child, I wanted that, um, and I think he wanted that for me mm. too. Um, mm. It hurts my feelings to say that mm. because I love him so much. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I really wanted that and I wanted to sort of dance and, uh, and sing and whatnot. And I was like five, I think, at the time. And mum and dad sort of put me into this ballet class. I think they had that idea where it's, you know, if you're going to dance, you got to learn how to uh, do it the, you know, the classical way and then you can move on, which is, which is totally false <laughs> in hindsight because they're totally two different schools of uh, movement in the same way as, you know, learning to sing contemporary doesn't require you to have a classical background and blah, blah, blah. Um, did for me, but that's uh, for a later conversation. But yeah, I started uh, doing dance, doing ballet at the age of five and did that for like 10 years. Uh, it was a cool social thing and probably fucked my hips up, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Was it was it natural for you to move in a, uh, what is, bal- ballet? Balletic. Balletic. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's natural at all, but like, especially when you're a kid you know but it's it, it, like the discipline of it was the hardest part because it's like it's not like going into a you know kids free movement or hip-hop dance class where it's just like yeah let's just just go you know just there's music playing just, just express dance. yourself little boy and you know i mean that's yeah i mean that's what my daughter does like we put music on around the house and she just like smashes it does this weird expression expressionist weird bizarre uh dances and she loves it and you're like, that's not a, that's not a plie. I said, that's not correct. Uh, and I hit her and I say, no. Yeah. I've on never, that, never. I'm, not ble- I'm not bleeping that. Oh, no. Isolate it. I've never hit my daughter once. <laughs> so when it comes to things like the performance of ballet, have you done ballet in front of lots of people? Yeah, I did. As a, There was this weird thing where uh, the ballet school I was at had this um, collaboration with the, I think it was the Australian Ballet, and they did a, like, uh, Carmen as like as a ballet which seems weird um, but they did it and we they needed like some street urch- urchins and stuff and a couple of like chorus choir boy characters or something at one stage and we sort of they used us and our class to go and do it so we performed at like the Lyric Theatre in Brisbane and yeah it was probably the biggest crowd I'd performed in front of at that stage because I was maybe seven <laughs> but yeah no we that was that's the only time I really danced in front of people properly what, what does it take for a young man or a crap teenager, however you want to put it, to 
follow through with dance and because you were at an all boys school throughout that whole time, right? Uh, throughout the latter part, yeah. Latter part. Mm. How, wh- what did it take for you in your sort of psyche and ego to keep going back to that? It was just kind of what I was doing, you know, like I don't remember a lot. I mean, you know this. I do know this. You've been on a tour bus I'm with trying. me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm opening it up for people to, to learn. I could I could probably preface a whole thing with like, you remember that time you were this? I don't remember the start of this conversation. <laughs> uh yeah, I love it when you quote me back to me. And I'm like, hey, that's funny. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's one of yours. I know that's against the rules. Yeah, don't never quote me back to yeah. me. <laughs> that's the only rule I know about gin. That's actually that might... Is that the only rule? Um, I don't remember, man. Okay, I'll quote you on one thing, which is never quote me back to me. Okay, great. You're, you're out of the band. Is this the end of the podcast? It is, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers for coming. by. So, if you're, if you're 15, so you stopped when you were 15? Yeah, roughly. About year 10. And you're presumably moving out of dance into something else yeah i was doing a lot of sport at the time regardless um i don't really remember i think i left dance not because of any bullying and stuff which you know was happening (laughs) because it was the late 90s early 2000s and that's how things were i don't know if how are things now i don't know i don't know any people i don't know if we have any 15 year old boys who are ballerinas listening to this podcast ballerinas you i don't know okay can you tell me the right word well i mean for starters that ends with an a which means it's feminine to begin with well you you're not you didn't invent language i didn't i just uh understand it yeah i'm changing it i'm bringing it back uh, I have no idea what the... Ma- I'm just stalling, by the way. I have no idea what it is. I'm going to go with ballet dancer. A dancer. Okay, yeah. good. So, I, yeah, it was nothing to do with, with any of that. I just sort of... Uh, all the, the girls went off to do sort of... The, the, you know, it's where the sort of genders split off in different schools of ballet. Like, the girls went off to do point and specific stuff. And the guy, I was going to be separate from them. And what, there was two, two guys in the class, actually, which was a bit of a phenomenon. And he went on to actually to dance, like professionally he went on to study it uh much later and i just sort of left because the social aspect wasn't there anymore and that was primarily why i was going um so yeah i just ended up doing you know soccer rugby cricket fencing yada yada fencing yeah go back fencing what for a little bit i didn't know that private school (laughs) private school darling oh my god private school you have to be prepared for a duel (laughs) at any stage it's how you settle your real estate or your trust fund with your siblings (laughs) it's just purely by fencing no i mean that's how you separate the uh separate the wheat from the chaff you know what Uh, i mean oh good it's like you know there are a bunch of different socioeconomic levels uh within the private school (laughs) only reason i was there is because i was on a scholarship for singing with my little voice um so I had to defend myself through fencing. <laughs> <laughs> they just—they took one look at you and they were just like, "Oh God, give this boy a sword. He's got no chance." Yeah, yeah. arm him. <laughs> and and I know we've spoken about it a, a whole bunch, but when it comes to that sort of boy culture of of a private school, mm. what? happens to the way that you do stuff i mean your point of comparison isn't really there because you haven't been to that co-ed high school situation Mm. but as far as competitively and with that drive and that ego behind it how how does that change the way that you consider what good performance is well i feel like uh it's all lord of the fly shit for starters because like all schools are essentially a prison for um fuckheads like you know like year nine around sort of like the age of 14 or so everyone just need just get away from just go there and leave everyone else alone um but in all boys school it's it's like a bit different because it's uh it's putting all of these like testosterone fueled people and it ends up being sort of an echo chamber for a bunch of uncomfortable and sort of negative um social beliefs and whatnot 
Um, I'd like again. I can't speak for now because I'm talking about 15 plus years ago. Um, but yeah, it's a bit different, and you there's a, a a tendency to feel like you need to outperform everybody else and is super competitive and whatever else. But fortunately for me, I, I managed to sort of fall into a lot of different creative um, sort of areas at the time. You know, I was at the like, right up until halfway through. I was still doing dance, I was singing in choirs, I was doing the drama department, you know, basically getting on stage as often as I can at that stage. Everyone look at me, I'm good at this thing. I wish to be the centre of attention, please, thank <laughs> you. Please yeah. thank you. So, um, uh, I just got gifted by my lovely person a copy of Quiet, the Susan Cain book about introverts. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the first page is is saying that school is not for introverted people. It's It's geared totally towards people that can excel in a group of people. But the fallout is, of course, to achieve, you need to come, so to speak, out of your shell. I'm doing finger quotes. Mm -hmm. I can't convey that elsewhere. You're holding a mic, so you're really just opening finger Uh, quotes. Okay, yeah, true. (laughs) You can't close it. I'll put one on the other side. There we go. And, yeah, did you consider yourself as... uh, did Did you think you were going to be a loud singing type throughout high school i think everyone around me did um no i think the interesting thing uh for me is that you know like i'm definitely like 100 percent an extrovert i i i don't i don't mean that in like a beating my chest way i mean like i need people to function you know i don't have good ideas on my own i don't feel like i can contribute on my own basically left to my own devices i will do nothing uh but when i'm surrounded by other people i have uh i'm a lot more effective at my thinking and learning and yada yada and so when you were, so let's let's move forward a couple of years because I think this is a really really interesting picture to paint because when you were pre fitness industry gym, which we'll get into your PT career in a sec, mm-hmm. what was your what was your health like, and then what was the catalyst to move into something like fitness? In a word, trash. Uh, you know, like drinking heaps, you know, stop doing any kind of sport and whatever. Because like at school, you're so lucky, particularly I was super privileged to be at the school I was at because there were just all the facilities were available. You know, I was a little psycho. I was like a little undiagnosed, you know, bipolar kid who just needed to do everything all the time. And I had that. And then the minute that school was over and you don't have that availability, I'm sure a lot of people have had this experience. You just kind of stop. You know, like I wasn't doing any sport. I, I wasn't watching what I was eating. I was just like drinking all the time because I could. And, you know, you drink energy drinks, you eat trash, you get fat. It's awful. Mm. So I didn't take care of my health in the slightest, mental or physical. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty bleak kind of time. But I, I honestly don't know what it was that kind of triggered me going, yeah, I need to get into shape or I need to do something. But, um, yeah, it just, I just kind of did. Just It was just like going vegan. It was the same thing. You just kind of make a realization. I don't remember the moment, but it's just like, hey, yeah. So when you were gigging with Arcane in the in the early days, you mm. would have done it as the sort of pre-fitness awareness, pre-nutrient awareness. Totally. Trash. Can I say trash body gym? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Stephen Fry once put it while climbing up a big hill in a documentary. He said, the spirit is willing but the flesh is a bin liner full of cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were on stage being cream cheese. Yeah. I was never, I, by the way, I was never obese. I just like my standards for myself. I, you know, uh, 
I was shapes. I was like just a bit kind of floppy everywhere. And um, in, in every sense of the word, I mean, mentally too, I was just floppy bit everywhere. Floppy. Yeah. Bit but shit. Um, all over the shop and, you know, but still purely confident on stage and stuff like that, you know, because again, that's like a safe place for me. It always has been because I'm in charge. <laughs> so you could, you could, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. So when it came to going on stage and even though internally perhaps there was quite a lot of conflict i'm guessing as far always as always 100 all the time yeah, yeah yeah no doubt you're about to go on stage and you're like i feel flab and then you're on stage and you're like i'm good at this one thing let's mm. do it you don't even think it just happens it just ha- yeah, yeah totally totally i get that and but yeah there was a, a like a sort of a, a distinct kind of effort to to sort myself out a bit and I, I got kind of inspired by that i think um and by the people around me and you know to sort of pursue a career in that because I felt like it would suit me. Anyone in particular? Um, I can't remember. Like there was a, there was one guy who took like, you know, the, all those like Les Mills fitness classes, like they do body pump and yada, yada. And like now knowing what I know, I know that they're kind of flawed and stuff. But at the time I, uh, was really enjoying it. It was what I needed. Again, I was I was sort of like in a group of people doing a thing together with other people. I, I wasn't like having a lone wolf it on the, the gym floor not knowing what I was doing. I was being instructed and it was fun. And the guy who was taking it was like this really charismatic dude and I'm just like, hey, I could do that and went and did my uh, certs and stuff and then got a job as a receptionist at a gym to try and kind of get my foot in the door and I ended up getting a PT there, a dude named James uh, Stewart and he was really good. And that, he was the guy that just made me go like, yeah, you know what? I could do that. And I wanted to do it. So you were sitting there at reception at that gym and you were watching a large variety, not emphasis on the large. I just realized that could be taken quite badly. <laughs> An enormous and variety. <laughs> a rotund variety of people come through the door. Mm. At what point do you think you found yourself compelled to excel at that? Because by the time I met you in 20... I don't remember, 13, 14. It's, it's irrelevant. At some point. You, you were in sort of, how I've heard you described a space marine shape. Weird. Which is, Don't yeah. quote me back to me then. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the sacred, I don't recall. sacred rule. It was a, it was a pretty funny. But it, it was It was absolutely true though. I mean, you were in ridiculous shape. At what point did you sit there and you just kept going up and up and up and up? And did you ever make that distinction or did it just happen? It just happened for starters because, actually this is an interesting one to talk about because... Um, PTs don't realize, a lot of them don't realize that no one else lives in the world that they live in, right? So their expectation of their clients is way too high. So it's like, because they're in a gym all the time, you know, particularly if you're working in a city gym, it's like you got your morning clients before work. That might be from like 5 a.m. through to, and then I don't know why that was my Mm. o'clock. That's a real sound, not a a soundboard sound. And and then from like post-work stuff into the evening. And in the middle, you got this big gap where you're either like working on people's programs, you're sort of walking the gym floor trying to talk to people and, and, you know, pick up clients and whatnot. And you're training. And so you have the opportunity, if you want, to train two hours a day. You know what I mean? Either morning and night or one big session or yada, yada. And when you're doing that five plus times a week, you're going to be in space marine shape. You know, it's like... But you, you can't if you're a regular person. You can only do those those other times. You have to fit it in around real life. And I think a lot of PTs have that expectation, which is too much. Did you have did you have a moment where you realized that you were ex- extremely fit compared to a former self? Yeah. Um, I used to show people photos, actually, like if a client was struggling and stuff like that and they, they kind of felt like they weren't getting anywhere. And I knew they were. Mm. I would just sort of go back and go like, well, here's, here's my journey. This is what I went through. 
Uh, anyway, this it is just, how it's helped my health and my physical and my mental health. Just in my head, you have this, <laughs> you have this stapled to your abs and like you lift your shirt up. I'm like, guys, I want to show you something. And you lift your shirt up and it's just like, this is me. Look at this back to back. This is trash. Yeah. But as a, yeah, because I used to train with them as well sometimes, you know, you get, like get in and show them. And so they knew that I was performing well as well. Because that was, that was always my focus as a PT too, was uh, performance over like appearance. It was never about aesthetic unless somebody wanted that, in which case you could totally apply all of that. Um, and actually that's something to talk about too at some stages. The variety of things in your tool belt for a, for a trainer is really important. Well, especially considering now that you're outside of that world, which is, I mean, the, the other memory I have going back of you is heading over to your old house in Stafford, it was Stafford right? Yeah. And just like that sort of that, that spark was no longer in your eyes after that whole situation mm. came crashing down yeah. too much, everything, too much yeah. stimulus. And that when you subtract that away and you're left holding the, the, the possible things that you could do with your fitness, the one that suits your lifestyle, the one that suits the touring, the one that suits your voice, what, what did that sort of... Where did that leave you as far as the way that you train now? Um, well, it took a long time because, you know, after sort of like long story short, my business crashed really hard. Um, the gym that I was working at, which will go nameless, but um, they were a big gym and I think everyone in Australia knows who I'm talking about. Um, wouldn't let me out of the contract despite the fact that I was suicidal and everything and it, it, things things spiraled way out of control and I had to, I basically had to run away. Um, and that I don't think I've ever recovered from that to be honest. I think I'm still kind of this is six years on. I'm still kind of in the uh, in the wake of that. But um, it took a long time to get back on the the fitness horse because I was so jaded about the idea of it. The entire industry was poison in my mind. Um, and so I had to develop kind of my own approach to it and it ended up being part of my ongoing treatment plan for mental health more than physical health. Um, and then, of course, you start setting physical goals when you start getting more on top of things. But it became definitely a huge part of that because I feel like, you know, people talk a lot about self-care, right? And in part of their mental health treatment plan. Uh, and it's like, but they... I know what Tumblr wants me to think a self-care <laughs> thing is or the rest of the internet wants me to think self-care is, which is just like, you know, pamper yourself or take a day off when you need it or just like go look at the beach and fucking shut up. Like, because that's all short-term stopgap stuff, you know, but like self-care is long-term in the same way as fitness is long-term. Like, um, yeah, like discipline isn't getting fit. Discipline is staying fit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not anyone that puts their mind to it and has a really, I want to lose this weight can go do that. I believe everyone has the capability to do that. But then once you've hit that goal, the real discipline is staying fit. And that goes for self-care as well. That it's like, we're not going to do these day-to-day stopgap solutions. I need to find long-term so that I don't have to have those stopgap solutions anymore. And I think for me, the steps that I took with like training and maintaining that training, uh, with going and getting help and getting medicated, kind of like mitigating those highs and lows and kind of bringing me to a point where I can function and do work and, you know, progress with my life and stuff like that, uh, as well as like quitting drinking and all of these other things that I've taken. They're all long-term staying fit things mentally and physically. Yeah, the, the bar for fitness is as low as you want to make it, whether that means that you don't drink anymore mm. or you restrict just any food that you know doesn't make you feel good after 15 minutes yeah. well I, like i don't know about that because it's like there's there's certain things just like days 
I mean, I'm feeling pretty down today, for example. Like the thing that I had to accept after being medicated, one of the realizations I had, because it was a revelatory experience in a bunch of different ways, in a bunch of different directions. Because the first being that, you know, I'm less anxious. I can talk to people a lot more easily. You know, I, I feel like there's momentum in my life and that's awesome. But on the other hand, I had to realize that I'm never going to be rid of this thing. Like I still have my ups and downs more than a, a I'm going to say normal. Or what's the word they keep using now? Neurotypical person would. That's quite nice. Um, kind what, of. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. Um, whatever, you know, like um, more than a, like a regular person would with these ups and downs, right? So I'm never going to be rid of it but I can, I can mitigate it and I can kind of treat it. And that was, that was a realization that I had. So you sort of have red flags that are in place now that are saying, do you, do you have ones for you haven't trained in a while? And also do you have ones for you're training too much and you need to back off? Um, I don't really have like a training too much one because again, like it's, it's about schedule. Like I know for a fact, I'm never going to be PT fit again because I'm not living and working in a gym essentially. Um, but acknowledging that you have those... Yeah, that's the point of the sentence I started before. Woo! <laughs> acknowledging that you like can allow yourself those weekdays. W-E-A-K. Those sort of weaker days where it's like, you're not going to get much done today. Like, if you do one thing today, that's a victory because you accept that you've had these, these down days. It's the same thing for like eating shitty food or whatever. It's just like, if you allow yourself to do that, don't kill yourself about it. It's just part of life. You know, and if, if you're not like me and you feel comfortable with having a drink or whatever and you have a drink with your mates, that's totally fine as well. Um, it's, just, it's just finding that balance because like the health and fitness industry often forgets about the health part and health also includes social health, mental health, having a life, getting to live your life, that sort of thing. So you said, I remember we've spoken about drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, the Kool-Aid, man. It's this so is real. so fun because I think some people, based on the interactions I've had because of this podcast, have been people asking me for... Is that a burp? No, I just had... It was a hard swallow. Okay. <laughs> and you wanted to avoid the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. That's so nice. I do these on stage as well. Everyone like half, If you. I need to burp, I get like halfway through a phrase and then sort of... Put my head over here to the side of the microphone and just let one go, and then straight back in. I caught one of those, by the way. I looking yeah, once you know, yeah, once you know, you yeah. can see. I it. feel angry though. Why? Because I feel like people are, people being are missing out on a bit of cheated from an extra sound from you. They paid good money to hear that burp, and you just took it away. I don't know if they're after variety. Okay, that's true. So <laughs> when when it comes to Kool Aid, what were some of the things that that were easy for you to accept being taught and hard to let go? Not sure what you mean. So when you were working at the gym and people were telling, giving you facts about exercise. Oh, you mean you, like what things, what Kool-Aid was delicious yeah. and easy to yeah, go down. Yeah, tell me about your lovely Kool-Aid. Um, money, primarily. Uh, less, less to do with actual training and training methods um, because the basic stuff is super simple, right? Anyone can kind of learn it in a short period of time and then apply it. Um, the hardest thing to learn is then how to apply it to other people and their needs and then that's why that diverse diversity of your skill set is really important because then you can apply more different things find a niche for yourself as well as the basic stuff um but the the money thing was was the biggest kool-aid thing convincing you that your business had to have perpetual growth which is by its very nature literally impossible um that your business has to make a certain amount of money that you know you have to keep pushing and pushing and yada yada and all of that you you really buy into that and part of when everything crashed for me is just you know you fall into a depressive episode and particularly stark one and all of a sudden money everything was meaningless you know what i mean like what, what everything training the the whole industry money it was just it didn't mean anything anymore 
Like, you know, if I didn't feel like I should be around anymore and that like my value to the world was nothing, then imagine how I felt about money. You know, so like that was that was a real breaking point, but I, and a realization that I kind of been brainwashed in that way. And the Kool-Aid that I drank was to do with uh, perpetual growth. And not to mention going back to what you were encouraged to do at school in your environment, which was always to Constantly be the best excel. at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only, it only makes sense that that was natural. That that would have been a natural thing they took advantage of in you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best at something. Like that's that's one thing as well that I think is sort of being a bit slandered at the moment. That it's you know. Um, you know, let's be less competitive and more inclusive and stuff. And that's, yeah, it's awesome. But at the same time, if you want to excel at something, then you better want to be the best. You know, you want to let other people drive you, let yourself drive you and that sort of thing. But when that's now applied in like a fiscal or economic sense, that's when it's purely selfish. You know, it's, it's not, nothing to do with competing with yourself or being the best that you can be. It's about accepting a system that doesn't care if you succeed or not. And that's what happened to me. Did you have any... Did you have any moments of pure bro science that you can sort of recall from that career where someone told you something that you just had to, to sit there and go, I don't ever want anyone to know this as fact? <laughs> well, it, there was one time I went to like this course and again, it was more money focused than anything else because it was about manipulating people and it was about talking about how you respond to certain people's um, uh, personality type. <laughs> <laughs> See, off mic, man. That was that was. It's pretty rich. Wow, the rich, rich and tones full. of Jim. I want to see what that waveform looks yeah, like. Yeah, it, it clipped actually. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, actually, while we're talking about weird waveforms, here's Trilly snoring. This is Jim's dog snoring. <laughs> Puppy snores. Yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> So bro what an idiot. Yeah, and so he broke down uh, people into colors, essentially. And like one gross oversimplification might work in a broad sense, but yeah. And he was saying like, what kind of exercises would you give somebody who came in and he wanted to prove that they should train with you uh, in a short period of time? What kind of exercise would you give somebody who is say a red personality who might be your, you know, big practically psychopathic you know big ceo kind of type right because you want them to go and they're real ego and they're ego driven and his answer was like uh i'd give them i'd give them a big heavy deadlift you know what i mean make them feel real strong and powerful and it's just like cool if they've never done that before that's an injury is what that is i'd give them an injury yeah CEOs that, that'll prove injuries. it yeah they love being incapacitated and unable to work and i literally because i uh, again, undiagnosed, untreated, unmedicated, stood up in the middle of the thing, yelled, fuck this, and walked out. Um, How did that go down? Uh, they ignored it because, again, they were about money and I wasn't about to go make it from their perspective. Um, but, yeah, I, I hated that. The other, the Kool-Aid that I, another piece of Kool-Aid that I actually did drink was, like, the opposite of that. It was more to do with, like... Um, I don't know, like a, a system of training that was kind of new and exciting and doing, and it had a different name and stuff. And really most systems are just like rename the thing and sell it and make money. Um, but, you know, it wasn't until after the fact that I realized that it kind of didn't have a basis in science, really. It was just kind of like another thing that people were throwing and I was acting like, uh, like it was the be all and end all because um, I enjoyed doing it for myself and then I was applying it to kind of everyone despite the fact that they may not want the result that that is giving, you know what I mean? So that was another uncomfortable one. What sort of exercise style was that? Uh, a lot of full body stuff. Some that I still do because again, it's fun and I like it. 
but uh, you know, it's not applicable to everybody. You it's know? not systematically able to. It's, you can't pretty much go from zero to a hundred on that sort of thing. Well, that and also, if somebody comes in and they want to get big and bodybuild, then it's not for them, you know. But you still, I was still applying it because I, I drank the Kool Aid and I believed it was like the only way to train. Uh, and one thing that I think a lot of PTs and a lot of people in the industry are guilty of or end up guilty of is uh, speaking out of turn. And I mean that as like, like writing an article about something that you don't know about. Like you haven't necessarily studied nutrition, but you're writing a nutritional article. Like what are you doing? And I did one for my clients. Like oh, I, no. I wrote something. I had no idea what I was talking oh, about no. in hindsight. Yep. But again, I was so deep in the juju that it's like, is that appropriate? Can we say I don't that? know, man. Oh, I just thought the same thing. Yeah. By the way, the word gypsy is not inherently racist also. From it the, is? Yeah. Like, I think it, oh, it comes from like like Egyptian or something like that. Uh, so, if someone to, feels gypped, it's like... That, I see gypo as well. Really uh, awful. We're now just throwing slurs at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's just been like, nope, stop. Yeah. All right. And just, yeah, just censor all of those. That's a shame because all the good stuff starts happening now. Shame. So, Kool-Aid... What are we talking You've about? You've lost it, right? I've lost it. You're too I... busy thinking about juju. <laughs> yeah. Did that help it? Yeah, it did actually. <laughs> uh, never quote me. Uh, yeah. So, that you know, like I was actually putting this stuff out there um, of stuff that I hadn't studied and that I wasn't qualified to talk about, but I felt, you know, in my experience and I'm able to actually talk about it when it's like, you, that, and that's why people don't trust when people who are qualified talk about this stuff or go against what they've heard. And I was part of a really, really big problem, you know, that is now actually way worse uh, than it was even at the time. Uh, like, I mean, the anti-vax movement is like an example of exactly that. Uh, and I was participating in something that was very similar. So, as far as you being, I guess we can say out. Out, yes. Now, it's kind of cool because I'm, I'm finishing my cert for, mm-hmm. and I think I'm starting to see... I'm sort of lucky enough to have the people that are teaching the problems of that attitude. Granted, we haven't got to the part about money making yet, mm-hmm. which is I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that, of course, because it's hard to take money from people for just trying to make them feel better. Although it is just that, that could just be you, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it may just be that. In which case, donate. To, I don't have anything to like donate to. Being nice professionally. Yeah, just, start a Patreon. Wouldn't that be nice to just be rich enough to just to just to be nice there, there is a gym <laughs> in i'm gonna get it wrong but it is in america where this guy has this very very unusual process to let people become a member because it's a totally free gym mm-hmm. and if you're interested in joining it you have to have all these interviews and you have to prove that you're going to use the facilities because it's all free it's the guy mm. who invented that uh the slingshot for bench press Blanking on his name, but yeah, he, he runs okay. a free gym. Anyway, Jim. Yes. So, leading up to, let's talk about some practicalities of what this means as far as you being a musician as well. Mm-hmm. So, when you, were, when you were training and when you were feeling your fittest, on stage, presumably, you also felt your fittest. Yeah. Took my shirt off a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, you've like done that recently as well. Uh, yeah. that, is that different now? Well, it took that was more of a breaking the ice for me because yeah. I'm still not super happy with my body. I'm in pretty good shape. Um, worked on it for a while. But like, I'm always going to have hang-ups about my appearance now, I think. Uh, and that was just a big kind of statement of like, yeah, I can, I can be bold. I can be brave. <laughs> I can do it. And I did it, I think, twice on the tour out of necessity because uh, it was super hot. <laughs> there, there was one, one worth mentioning was in Madrid. So, we were playing this, 
It ended up getting quite chilly that night, but we were playing this disgusting... Oh, no, I, can't, I can't really say disgusting, but it was a very sticky venue. Yeah, I love those, though. Oh, just so was, sticky. It like was Shoes sticky. on the dance floor, yeah, so it was yeah. sticky. People smoking inside, you know. Yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Filth. You lost your voice that night, actually. Too. Oh, yeah, I lost my voice that day. I didn't speak all day. Yeah, well, I tried. Tried. It's yeah. really hard for it's me not to talk, guys. <laughs> I want to. I want to make it clear. It, like I know that it makes me like a burden on everyone around me, but I just I need people. I need to talk about stuff. Even just that the the texting and whispering too, trying to text, but also you can't help yourself but dig yeah. into the whispering. I remember um, uh, Ben Rector from Circles, who was on tour with us. Lovely, lovely man. I want to cuddle him all the time. Fun nose. Um, he. <laughs> He uh, had a couple of days like that as well, where it's just it's smart sometimes as a vocalist to go nonverbal for a whole day and just and just relax and and you know when you need to give your voice a break, which I can't do. Um, and he was able to just not talk. <laughs> you know, he would write something in a, in a text and sort of show you sometimes, but he was able to not talk, and it was crippling for me. He's a Zen it, creature. It removed my entire self from me. <laughs> I, I was unable to do it at all. So that the thing that just this is a ridiculous anecdote, but I hope someone gets a chuckle out of this. I reckon deep down the reason why you had to take your shirt off that night was because your shoelaces were white and your jeans were black. And you, because you, you brought the wrong shoes to the show. So you were wearing sort of blue sand shoes. Oh, yeah. And you were just like, gosh, oh, shit, I got the wrong shoes. And so it was just a big distraction, elaborate yeah, that's distraction. That's definitely why, Adrian. Yeah, that's, that's 100%. I, I, left, you I, figured left that, me out. I left that show thinking, like, those shoes did look fucking dumb. Yeah. I hope that other people are looking at everything that I do under such a lens, <laughs> such a magnifying You know when lens. you're like 78 minutes into a 90-minute set and you're like, what else is there to look at now? <laughs> I'm just like crossing my feet over one another. Yeah, and kind no of one look at my shoes. Turning around, you got never the approaching the front. There. But maybe internally. You yeah, but if I put my foldback, my foot up on the wedge, that's just like presenting. It. That's Highlighting like, it. I'm not that confident, man. Yeah, well, I mean, granted, we did have those poorly translated... Um, reviews that probably missed out probably poorly translated like jim gray shit shoes like oh. he took a shirt off or else i would have been quite upset yeah 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 it so sounds when, much better in spanish though. <laughs> yeah yeah more eloquent mm. so when it when it comes to these these shows and these performances you're let's talk about the way you actually move because i think this is something worth addressing when it comes to when singers are listening to this being like cool i'm going to train for my cardiovascular response or something mm -hmm. like that i want to be able to breathe lots sure you breathe lots on stage but where did you learn and how would you describe your particular way of moving on stage? Um, a lot of it is kind of a, a long-term kind of developed thing because I've been performing in bands since I was 16 years old, um, which is exactly half my life now, actually. Um, and a lot of it, you like early on, you just kind of appropriate what the bands that you like are doing. And like in the early 2000s when I started, that was all new metal stuff. You know, I was big into Rage Against the Machine. I was like really copying what they were doing and just applying it to what I did. Um, and then over the years, you kind of, when you, especially when you start feeling more natural on stage after you get over that kind of green area of your career where you're still nervous before you go on stage or you're feeling awkward on stage or yada yada, you don't have to pretend anymore. And so you start being more natural in your physicality. And I think for me, there are a lot of sort of strange things that I do, um, particularly when I'm sort of locked into a mic stand or something. I don't like to hold a mic stand because um, I feel like that's, that's me using a crutch, you know, using a shield to protect myself. I just kind of like to stand there and I do a lot of kind of rotation and strange movements with my arms, but it, it a lot of it is, it's very natural. It's like me trying to kind of conjure emotional expression in a very natural kind of way. But I do a lot of hoppy hops, do a lot of little jumps because again, I grew up with people who did that on stage and I, I really like doing that because I feel like that's part of a, a performance. I think, you know, it's very 
it was a very deliberate choice for me to be a uh, singer for a progressive metal band that it wasn't just kind of like look what we can do and kind of standing up and just doing our thing i wanted to be really interactive and have the crowd amped and have a good time and stuff like that so i think prior to my joining of the band just being someone who was a fan and watching there was a really great i mean it's obvious now knowing you and, and your background and stuff like that but there is that great mixture of say the femininity that comes with learning a dance inherently over mm -hmm. 10 years and then the masculinity of doing lots of sports and doing lots of high testosterone sort of environmental things. Mm -hmm. I think that actually come, comes off. Have you ever broken it down into something like that? Well, I mean, I think the, the sort of variety in, in my approach to singing sort of matches that as well. Like I'm not afraid to be extremely feminine in my delivery. In fact, a lot of my vocal inspiration comes from female artists. I love female singers um, and I listen to them all the time. You know, particularly people like, you know, Tori Amos, which I've talked a lot about before, and even modern stuff like Kimbra and whatever, she blows my mind. Um, and uh, Becca Stevens more recently too. But yeah, I, I love this stuff and I want to be able to express that in the same way. And so like a lot of my movement is quite feminine. On stage is like soft, there's a lot of soft wrist kind of movement and like a lot of flowy stuff and just trying to kind of match that uh, tone physically and to kind of get that tone out and feel more natural. Um, but then, of course, there's more belty stuff, more aggressive stuff that comes with the music as well. And I think, again, that's matched by the physicality because that's what I need to get there, I guess. Let, let's go into the show. Let's, let's, um, let's pick a show that stands out as being particularly hard to get through that we may have done on the, on the last tour. You mean Slovakia? Oh, no, not that one. Let's Coach should say. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's go. We'll never, we'll <laughs> let's, never speak of it again. Let's go to one where you felt hurt on stage, not emotionally, where you may have had sort of an injury lurking over you. It was more after, like most of those, because again, you get gig fit. True. But then after like, you know, when you were approaching show, maybe 30 or something, you know, you're getting into the late 20s and that's when you, you start to kind of fatigue a bit. So you start to fall apart, but it's more in the recovery sense, you know, and the places that I felt it most were obviously neck, you know, head banging or whatever. Lower back, because my lower back is dinky to begin with. Um, knees and ankles too. I think that was mostly impact from little hoppy hops um, mm. and just sort of moving back and forward on my feet the whole time. Twisting lots of... Yeah, yeah. and again, just lots of un, uh, not unnatural movements really, but like like explosive in, in directional and stuff. So, you know, I suppose if, if you do anything of that intensity every night for like a month and a half, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wreak havoc. And you, you said gig fit. I think that's actually... Is that, is that a burp? It was indeed a burp. That was good. That was a nice one. I think everyone at home is now appreciating that. The stealth burp. After that first experience, I reckon people are just like, oh man, I can even smell that. Yeah. Oh no, there was a first one that was stealth. Second one that was audible and oh, like, yeah. not again. And now Never again. Yeah. Just, just so you guys know just how polite this is. When it comes to the impact, the stress that happens to your body, the stress that happens to your mind and things like that. I mean, obviously there is no preparation for it but this last tour leading up to it you were doing quite a lot and quite a uh, regimented more hypertrophy based mm. exercise is there anything that you don't do because of your vocal cords i was given a piece of advice by a singing teacher some some years ago and i respect her counsel very much uh, that a lot of like bench press and pushing motions isn't necessarily good for the voice on account of if you're straining your uh the muscles in your neck, like sternocleidomastoid, the boys that run sort of down the sides. Um, if you're doing a lot of tension there and you're carrying a lot of tension in your, uh, in the, in your neck, then that's going to affect the way that you sing. Now, I kind of, 
I took that on board, but I bring salt to that because every time that I've, uh, you know, returned to a state of fitness, um, both, you know, like cardiovascular and, and um, you know, I suppose muscular fitness as well um, in terms of resistance training. And by the way, because I do full body training, those two are linked to one another. Um, I've always found singing is easier because it, it, singing is not your throat or your chest or your abs or whatever it is, you know, it's not your um, cardiovascular system. It's your whole body. You know, you sing from the feet up. You know, it's a really physical thing. And if you're more in tune with how your body's moving and you're more, um, you know, because whenever I walk away from these full body sessions, I feel electric and I feel my whole body. I feel like I'm moving. And that's really applicable to singing because that's how one sings from the feet up. So That's a... That's a Really interesting. Uh, it's a disconnect from the other musicians that I've spoken to. Other musicians, whereas you, you can musicians. actually, yeah, you know, the people who have to do things with their hands. It's not hold the mm-hmm. mic. Yeah. But as far as like, you can actually do quite a lot of bicep work and things like that, regardless of what you're about to do on stage, right? Um, I suppose. Uh, like for me, it would be more effective to do some explosive stuff like jumping up and down, like if I was like, it's not just a physically getting amped to go on stage and, you know, pumping out a bit of, you know, that nervous energy or whatever, if you have that, uh, it's, it's more to do with sort of moving your body before you sing so that the first thing that you're doing isn't sing, you know what I mean? Like you have to wake up your body before you do it. So it's just like get on stage and I'm totally static and then, oh shit, I got to switch on and do this thing now. Uh, and I've, I have had shows like that in the past where you've been on tour for a while and, you know, we're a couple of songs in and just clicks like, oh man, we're on stage. Like, I, I, I've not been giving the performance I should. Uh, and fortunately, I'm sort of out of that now again because, you know, medication, treatment. <laughs> yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I prepared for a very long time for the last tour because I wanted to kind of dedicate myself fully to being as ready and as physically and mentally and vocally capable as I could, which is what, you know, professionals should be doing, I suppose. You know, I should go without saying. And did you, when, when you fatigue, when you're, I, I'm going to use, I guess, uh, Prog Power as, as a good example of this because it was a 90-minute show. It was early in the tour. But it was early on, yeah. yeah. When, when you feel a sense of fatigue, what is, what is where do you feel it? Um, I, think, I think vocally, you know, it's like the first thing to go is just a little bit of power and stuff like that and you end up kind of cheating stuff. Uh, you know, you might use a mixed, like a blended falsetto or something to get around the fact that, you know, you know that that belted big note is not going to be there. And, you know, rather than giving a big, you know, blowout, like on stage in front of people, you know, you want to give them the song, you want to give them the performance and that's how you're doing it on that night. And so it's fine. Like, I don't, you know, you don't guilt yourself about not giving that belted note if it's not there. Physically speaking, though, it's it's purely cardiovascular, and that's another reason why I wanted to be super fit for the the thing. You know, if I if I jump around too much or I do that, I don't want to start a song. We're going, like, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> have you ever? Do you have a memory of ever doing that? I did. Uh, Daughter of the Mountain. Uh, we're playing at the zoo in Brisbane. This is some years ago. I think the ride on the release of Bloom. And, you know, I like to get everyone jumping at the beginning of that song because it's fun. You know, it's a really cool kind of, it is a very jumpy tempo and it's a jumpy riff. Um, and I, I, I even ran out into the crowd because I saw someone wasn't and I grabbed them and I was jumping with them. And then I ran back on stage and realized that I had just been very stupid and puffed myself out. And the first couple of phrases of these soft, gentle falsetto things and I was trying to catch my breath in between. And yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's something that I learned quite early on in the career. Foresight is, is the other skill you should be working out 
Yeah, I, yeah. Am I doing the right thing at the wrong time? Yeah, but I used to jump over hedges into traffic. So, you know, this is not the worst. <laughs> okay. It's not the worst thing I've done. So, when it, <laughs> we'll glaze over that one as much as I think I think we'd all like the story. I don't think it's worth No, it's, the it's not. You've got the... You've got the <laughs> that's the juice. That's the good part. You got it all. So, leading, leading up to the last tour, and we can sort of kind of cap off with this. Mm. I think I saw you more focused on this than, than I ever had prior tours you were you'd stopped drinking Mm -hmm. your nutrition was pretty on point whether intentional or not doesn't matter yeah no it was a very it was a focused effort what what how did you go about doing that i I know you had some strategies that kept you in check with yourself well i mean again everything is practiced right so for example one thing that made it easier was having been vegan for a couple of years beforehand, because again, you have limitations on what you can eat already. You know, so you have a practice of, I don't have that, I have this. You know, and, and you, again, because it, to eat vegan healthily, you have to prepare good food, like a variety of food, things that are specific to, you know, fill nutrition gaps that you would be, they're much more easy to get with a, a omnivorous diet. You have to kind of counter that by being very deliberate. And so I already had practice in doing that. So taking the next step to just like really focusing on some, you know, like high protein meal prep and sort of making sure that you're eating healthy food. I eat pretty healthy as a rule. And this was just another step. So having that practice of that discipline made it a lot easier. And again, not, I have never been able to apply myself long term to anything ever in my entire life. I want to make that as clear as possible. I have a pile of unfinished shit behind me that is ever growing. But more recently, again, thanks to me seeking help uh, and trying to develop a treatment plan and understanding diagnosis, medication, all of those things have added to the ability that I can now apply myself long-term to stuff. And so that's probably why it was a surprise to you because it's new to me as well. Mm. So the, one of the strategies that I saw you, there was a, there was a strong hand gesture at the end of that sentence. It was a, it was a shrug. It was, a, yeah. <laughs> it was like a get to the end of it. Eh, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So when it, when it comes to, I, I remember you had like a poster sort of system or more of a countdown system to the tour. Yeah, I had a, a, a piece of paper stuck to the wall of my pantry that just said stick with the project. And I, I every day I had like a, a big pile of yellow sticky notes with just numbers counting down. And that was just the number of days left to the tour. Because again, it's like, you know, in, in this short period of time, you're going to have to excel. You have to be a professional. You have expectations yada yada and when you're depressed or when you're in a mixed episode or, or you know hypomanic or whatever it is it's easy to, dis- to d- dismiss that expectation you know to go like that's meaningless um but with that very deliberate daily thing it shows it's not this number of weeks it's this number of days which means if you're going say three times a week to the gym there's only this many gym sessions left you know so it's a really cool way to sort of keep myself on track having that countdown um and being again very deliberate about it, very practiced about it. And I guess to to kind of to wrap this delicious chat up, even mm. though we're just going to be hanging out after this, mm-hmm. it's not like a Skype call. Where I go back to what I'm doing, put some pants on. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop making out in mm-hmm. all the silences. Mm. The strategies when it comes to if you were to advise someone who does have a, a strong tendency. To, towards sort of bipolar type behavior or have bipolar the strategies that you would recommend to someone who's about to go on tour for the first time to help them uh just acknowledge it and to be able to navigate it what sort of simple things would you recommend uh a couple of things um first of all it's okay to not be okay for starters 
you know, as long as you're not taking it out on anybody else. And the, the other part of that is making sure that everyone around you knows that if you are being unreasonable, they have to tell you and you have to be open about receiving that. And that's something that I'm still working on. As you know, as we've all experienced even now, it's like it's hard to approach me in that moment with, hey man, I, I think something's going on here and I'll reject it straight away and then later on in the day go like, I think you might have been right about that. I'm real sorry. Um, but yeah, just be open to that and make sure that you've got a supportive network around you and support also means criticism. Um, and it's and it, primarily it's okay to not be okay. You're going to have days that are very difficult. Um, but yeah. Also, try to remember you're doing something fucking awesome. <laughs> That's true. It's, sick. it's pretty fun. I like the cheering part. When it happens. <laughs> Let's not talk about Slovakia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it down to a language barrier because usually was... I'm, I'm pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so... It's always a bit concerning when you walk into a venue with a, a guy with a shaved head and like a shirt that says like skinhead. Proud, was it proud skinhead or something? Yeah, like I that? don't know if someone that looks like that can have the word pride on them anyway. Oh, that's what it was. Hugely problematic. Yeah, we can leave, we can leave that one to the imagination of anyone mm. who's, who's followed us on this They were journey. really friendly. He was so helpful. Supportive. Very just, helpful. Just, the, just a bit spooky. Yeah, just a bit spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of like middle class white dudes from Australia. <laughs> Not really exposed to that sort of culture very often. It was a learning experience. Well, yeah, yeah. We watched the news, though, and I guess there's a little bit there. Hmm. But yeah. not, like, in front of you, helping you carry a car. <laughs> and helping you out as well. Thanks, man. You've been very helpful. Yeah. Um, would you have been if I... Never mind. I'm not going to ask. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Jim. Let's have some coffee. Yeah, let's have more coffee. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Also, do you have to pee? Because I have to pee. Um, do you want to stay on the mic while you do that? I'm, just... not, I'm not going to. All right. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hello there. This is some time after that journey we all just went on with Jim. If you'd like to follow Jim on Instagram, which I'm sure you do. Did I just have a blowout before? I'm not going to go back and check it. I swear to God, I'm not going to go back and check that. If you would like to follow Jim on his Instagram at Jim Gray Official, uh, because the poses has, uh, have snapped up Jim Gray. Is that right, Jim? I, at Jim Gray Official. Uh, send him a nice message, send him a, a thank you, tell him you love him, and I will, I guess I'll just talk to you indirectly through the next podcast. And until then, I, I actually do have a lot to do. Okay, bye.